The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. As we get into the Word, I, I want to uh, share with you a few things that you can look forward to here. If you're taking notes, these are things you can jot down, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll find these along the way. Uh, one of the things we're going to find is what's needed to be godly, right? You know, we have a call on our life to live a godly life, and that means doing things in a godly way. Well, the best way to do that is to know who God is and, and how he functions so that we can begin to imitate and mimic uh, his ways and, and bring those into our lives. So we're going to find out what's needed in order to be godly. Another thing that we're going to find out is how to give grace. Now, i got to just tell you, a big part of this message is, is really important for me to catch because these are not things that I'm really good at. Uh, I, I want to live a godly life. I think every Christian has that as a conviction. But then when it comes to giving grace, that can be a real challenge. And I think it's a challenge for a lot of people. I mean, we all know we need grace and we need people to give us grace. But then when it comes time to actually give grace out to people, that can be a challenge. And if you ever want to find out where your grace meter is, just drive down Buffalo Gap with all their construction and you'll find out how little grace you actually have because you're probably going to get really infuriated. It's insane. How many of you have you set through that light when it's green and nobody knows to go, right? It's unbelievable. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's enough to make a pastor cuss, and I don't think that's right. So, or honk, or honk in a very nasty way, right? There's sweet honks like, let's go, and then there's like, move it! <laughs> yeah, all right. So and another thing we're going to find is how to be like Jesus. Now, that kind of goes along with, with how to be godly, but you're going to find out there's some specific things that the Scripture reveals about Jesus. And you've got to understand that the history that's recorded in the gospel, which is four eyewitness accounts of a man's ministry and life and, and death and the resurrection, it's not a story, it's history. Like, it's a recorded piece of history, the most documented life ever to be recorded in the history of mankind. And so when you read this piece of history, you, you start to realize Jesus' life is not just something that is meant to... Uh, Give me the warm and fuzzies. It's not chicken soup for the soul. Rather, he's living as an example for us to follow. That's the reason why we are disciples, right? We're meant to follow in his footsteps. Christian really means like a little Christ, like you're, you're, you're following after Jesus. So the gospel is not just meant to be good reading or, or inspiration or even confirmation that congratulations, you've chosen the right faith, but rather this is a man's life recorded for the purpose of being an example for our lives. And so you're going to find something very specific to Jesus in the scripture that we're meant to mimic. Uh, so as we get into the word, we're going to move really quickly and, and get right into what's needed to be godly. So uh, I'm going to paraphrase a few things because we're not really preaching the message on this passage, but rather this passage is an important thing to catch. So it comes from the book of Exodus chapter 33. Exodus ch chapter 33 and what you're going to find here in Exodus 33, and then it carries over to 34, is you find an engagement between Moses and God. And Moses and God are having a, a, you know, a conversation. They're communicating. There's this engagement between God and man. And within this engagement, you have this uh, request made. Now, Moses makes this, if you want to write it down for your notes. And we use this in a lot of messages, by the way, so it may be familiar to you. Uh, Exodus 33:13. 13 
Moses asks God the following, will you let me know your ways so that I may know you? I don't want to just know about you. I want to know what makes you tick. Let me know your ways so that I may know you. Now, this is a really important thing. If we were talking about the importance of knowing God, we'd build on that. And there's a lot of passages of Scripture that we could build with. Jesus himself says that this is eternal life. He says this in John 17. This is eternal life, that they know you. I mean, it's about knowing God, not just knowing about God, but actually having a connection with him and and knowing what makes him do the things that he does, what his motivators are. Which, by the way, if I wanted to sum that up in one word, I could do it in four letters, love. I mean, that's the bottom line of God's motivation for anything he does in your life. He does it because he loves you. Now, he manifests that love through these specific ways, and this is really where we're going to get to today's message, and I'll explain a little bit when we get there. So God responds to Moses, and I love the response because he doesn't tell Moses like, hey, Moses, that's an interesting question, but I'm too complicated for your feeble mind. He doesn't doesn't make it hard. He doesn't make it difficult. Like I said earlier when we were receiving communion, God's not insecure. He's revealing himself. He's not hiding himself. I mean, look around you, the banners that we have in here that involve names of God. These are all moments where God reveals more about who he is and his nature so that we'll have a greater awareness and understanding of who he is. He's not interested in being a mystery to us. He desires to be a loving father to us. And to continue to reveal his nature and his character and his his methods for the purpose of giving us an example and leading us in the way we should go. So in in Exodus 33, he basically tells Moses, hey, I'll do that. I'll, I'll show you my ways. And you see it come to pass in Exodus 34. Now, I told you one of the things we're going to find is what's needed to be godly. We're going to find that there. If you wanted to take it for your notes, Exodus 34, verse 6. He lists a few things here. So if you want to live a godly life, it's going to be impossible to do it without having these few things living and active in and through your life. When Moses says, I want to know who you are, I want to know your ways, this is what God responds with. In verse 6, it reads like this. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed. Now he's proclaiming who he is. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. If you made a list of these things, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and then abundant in loving kindness and truth, you you have these five things, and these five things are going to to make up a godly life. Now, what's really amazing to me is when I list these things out, you know, there's some that I think, hey, I'm doing pretty good on that one, and then there's others I'm thinking, I need to work on that. That's one that I need to work on. I want to live a godly life. I want to be described myself as being someone who's compassionate, someone who's gracious, someone who's slow to anger, and someone that is abundant in or abounding in love and in truth. Now, abundance is a really wonderful thing. You really can't understand what it means to have that loving kindness or that truth without attaching it to that description of abundance. If you have an abundance of loving kindness and an abundance of truth, that means you have more than enough. It's not a sufficient amount. It is beyond what would be sufficient, which literally means that it's like spilling over. If I had a glass of water here in a pitcher, and I began to pour that pitcher of water into that glass, if I filled it all the way to the top, it would be full. If I continued to pour, and it was spilling over the sides and going off the table and running out on the floor, that's an abundance of water, right? It's more than can be contained. And so when I think about my life, I want to be described like that. When it comes to things like love and kindness that make up loving kindness, And things like truth, I want it to be spilling out from my life. 
Every time I engage with somebody, I want them to come into contact with loving kindness and truth. That's going to require being uh, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, which is not always an easy thing to do. But in order to be godly, these are the things that we need to have in our life. Now, I mentioned before that, you know, yesterday's men's meeting kind of inspired today's message. And, and I met a man yesterday, a wonderful man, very, very uh, uh, sweet guy that has, has devoted his life to helping a lot of people. And as I sat there and listened to him talk, there were things that I couldn't relate to that he was saying. But yet I could bear witness to something really wonderful and powerful. This was the most compassionate person I'd been around in quite some time. He had a motivation inside of him to go and do things that, that I couldn't relate to doing, that I'd never even thought twice about doing, that even when I heard him say it, I thought, well, that sounds kind of weird to me. But I'm looking at this guy's heart, and I'm thinking, you have something so precious and so powerful, I want that. And I don't even think I could do the same things you're doing and get that result. I would be doing it because I'm wanting to copy what you're doing. I need to have that drive and that fire in me, that motive, that thing that makes you so contagious to be around. And I think that's the godly attribute of compassion. This is somebody who saw a problem and he felt for that problem. And then he decided not only to just feel pity for that problem, but he decided to do something about it. And when you start to say that, you start to realize, I'm saying the definition of compassion. Let me just give you the definition. If you went and looked it up in the dictionary, here's what compassion would be defined as. A sympathetic consciousness of another's distress together with the desire to alleviate it. Those are big words, right? Basically, it means you know what's hurting someone else and you want to help. You know what's causing them pain and you want to help be a solution to that problem. And when I heard this guy speaking, I was thinking, this is really what needs to be in every believer. Now, we're all going to be moved by different things. Some will have visions uh, to help the, the poor and the needy with food, and some will have visions to help the sick with, with health care, and some will have visions to, to reach out to the distressed and, and marriage and family and bring about counsel and direction. I mean, we'll all have a different uh, thing that would break our heart and move us to do something, but we're called to have that take place. We're called to see distress and then want to fix it, want to help it, want to do something about it. And if we don't have that, then we're not living godly lives because that's at the heart of who God is. The Lord, the Lord your God, compassionate. Meaning I see when people suffer, and I don't like it. I want to engage and help fix it. I can't just walk past it and ignore it. But I want to engage, and if I can't engage, then I want to get the right people who can. We've got to fix problems. If we're not fixing problems... We're being problems. Now, here's an interesting thing about compassion. I mean, I started looking at it and thinking about it from some different perspectives, and I, I think this is really an important, necessary thing, not just to live a godly life, but in order to be uh, successful in anything that we put our hands to. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture, and you have to read between the lines a little bit, but I don't think you're going to have a hard time getting there. Uh, listen to this out of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4.31. It says, The Lord your God is compassionate. He will not fail, nor destroy or forget the covenant that he's made with your fathers. I mean, it's just an interesting thing to think about. I mean, if I were wanting to write a passage of scripture that was going to communicate that God wouldn't fail or go back on his word, I would have opened it up with, the Lord is faithful, and he'll keep his word. 
But what the, the scripture, which is very intentional and inspired by the Holy Spirit, went ahead and connected compassion with being the necessary fuel to not fail and to do what we say we'll do. It's going to be hard for us to be a faithful people if we don't have any compassion. How can I be faithful if I'm not interested in being the man that I'm called to be or healing those that I'm called to heal or serving those that I'm called to serve? Now, I can become very religious and maybe have the outward appearance of things being appropriate, but I'm not going to have the results of doing those works that are pleasing to God. So when I want to be a man who's not failing, when I want to be a man that's succeeding, when I want to be a, a man that's productive and fruitful, I realize I need to be a compassionate man. I've prayed a lot of prayers, Father, deliver me from this failure and help me be a success. And, and I see now that the, the fueling fire for that success is the presence of compassion. God, let me be compassionate. And honestly, the things that I've suffered in my life, I've suffered in my life with a purpose so that I can relate to those who are suffering. But if I become so myopic that I only look at my own suffering and I never turn that outward as an experience to say, I know what that's like, that's terrible and I want to help you, then all of that suffering is for nothing. It's really interesting to see the things that suffering brings. I mean, the scripture says this, and this is a really peculiar thing to say, but it speaks of Jesus. Now, when we think of Jesus, we think like we sang, you know, the perfect and spotless one. He didn't sin, but suffered as if he did, right? I mean, really great lyrics to a song. And, and when we consider Jesus and think of that holiness and that perfection, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this scripture. The scripture says this, that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. I start to think of the difficulty and the hardship and all the things that you know, get me frustrated or disappointed or hurt or wounded or rejected, and I, I can just think, well, that just stinks, and I don't like it, and it makes me miserable. But I can also take on this perspective that God's teaching me something. He's teaching me uh, what I need to know so that I can be obedient when I see someone else who's hurt and wounded and rejected and suffering. I can realize that causes pain and that destroys life. And I have the light inside of me to engage and help bring solution to that. It can help make me compassionate. Here's an interesting passage of scripture, um, again, about compassion leading to fruitfulness and success. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8. It reads like this, the Lord is compassionate. He's gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Now, that sounds very familiar to what we've already read. Why would this equal success? Because if we're abounding in love, we're abounding in victory. And here's why. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, love never fails. If I come to the place where my life is godly and motivated by compassion, the result is going to be this graciousness, the slowness to anger, and then that abundance of loving kindness, that abundance of loving kindness that spills onto every situation and every circumstance, every relationship, every conversation, every activity that I engage in, and it's that love that never fails. And it's that love that's going to bring success. But it starts with that motivation to be sympathetic to the distress of others and a desire to alleviate it. Now, here's what's incredible about this. This is really necessary to, to live life, to enjoy life, and to, to know life. I mean, think of life not just as your heart beating and your lungs functioning and all of your organs, you know, operating as they should, but think of life as the opposite of depression. 
Think of it as joy and celebration. Think of it as the life that, that God would bring into your existence. Now, the Greek word that's used in the scripture is the word zoe. It means life in abundance. Again, that word abundance, meaning more than just full, but spilling out all over the place. And when you're around someone that knows abundant life or that walks in abundant life, these people stand out. There's something about them that you want to get closer to and, and you want to, to engage with. You want to have that rub off on you because the world is filled with enough depression. We're really not interested in more darkness. But when we see light, we're attracted to it. Here's a couple of passages that speak of compassion bringing this life and this living. Psalm 40, verse 11. You, O Lord, will not withhold compassion from me. Your love and your truth will continually preserve me. Now, this is an interesting thing. You can read it, and it sounds poetic, and it's very, you know, pro-Heavenly Father. This is a, a verse that supports the idea that God is for you, and he wants great things for you. It's very comforting to think that, you know, God will not withhold compassion, and the result will be love and truth that will continually bring preservation. Preservation is the important word there. It means you're going to make it. No matter what you're dealing with, I'm depressed, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I I'm, I'm have this, this rejection or this hurt or this wound in my life, but yet God will preserve me. He's going to preserve me through love and through truth. And, and the way that preservation is going to come through love and truth is because God won't withhold his compassion from me. Let me tell you something, the least godly I've ever been in my life, and I have committed horrible sins, but the least godly I've ever been has been withholding compassion. When I had it within my power to relieve someone's suffering and I increased their affliction, it's wicked. I've done it plenty. I mean, we use words that are real simple that get watered down and we call it being a jerk, you know. I mean, stuff like that. But there's not a person in this room that hasn't dealt with whether it's been the receiving or the giving of jerkish behavior. We're called to be godly, to be compassionate. And when we refuse to withhold compassion, but we release compassion, we open up the door, just like we read from the scripture, for love and truth to introduce preservation, which means victory, ultimately. And people are desperate for victory. Here's one that's really tough to argue with, right? Psalm 119, verse 77. It's a prayer, it's a request. May your, and it's speaking to God, God, may your compassion come to me so that I may live. So that I may live. So that I can be preserved. I want to survive this hardship. I want to survive this difficulty. I want to survive this oppression. I want to survive this depression. I want to survive this darkness. I want to survive this hurt. I want to survive this wound. I want to survive this rejection. I want to survive this. I want to be preserved through it. I want to outlast it. And the only way that's going to happen is with your compassion. So I mentioned before we're going to find out how to give grace to people. I mean, like, we all need grace. I want people to be very gracious to me, but then when it comes time to reciprocate that and give it back, sometimes that's tough. I mean, by definition, that's called a double standard, right? We want people to treat us in godly ways, but oftentimes when it comes time to treat them that way, we may come up short. Well, this passage of Scripture it helps address that, and, and it helps address that by giving some instruction. I mean, I want to know how to behave myself in a godly way. And in order to behave myself in a godly way, I'm going to have to follow instruction like this. It comes from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. 
Isaiah 30, verse 18, here's how it reads. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. Really interesting passage of scripture when you just think about that. I'm going to read it again, and then I kind of want to look at it a little closer. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to be compassionate to you. I take that passage of scripture and realize, well, I'm made in the image of God, right? So you're made in the image of God. So we can take this passage of scripture and realize, even though this is talking about God, this applies to our life. I can think of areas where I want to be filled with grace. I want to have grace raising my sons. I want to have grace in my marriage. I want to have grace with the congregation as we grow and and thrive and advance and mature in the things of the kingdom of God. I want to have grace in all of those areas. And in order for me to do that, I have to understand what's being spoken here. Therefore, God wants to be gracious to you. Well, I want to be gracious. I want that. The question is, how do I do it? I love how this passage of scripture follows that statement. There's the desire to be gracious. Therefore, here's what God does. He waits to have compassion on you. If I can apply that to my life, I think it fixes a lot of the issues that I introduce into this world. If I can wait until I can be compassionate, That means I'm going to be patient and hold off on my initial angry response, on my initial disappointed response, on my initial bitter response, on my initial vindictive response. Wait until you have your act together and you can be compassionate. Keep your mouth shut. Control your temper. Watch your body language. Wait. You want to be gracious to the people around you, but you stink at it. You're going to have to wait. Slow down. Don't react to things in real time, but respond to them at the right time. Don't react to things in real time, but respond to them at the right time. Wait until you can be compassionate. Let me tell you something. As a husband, if I applied that, my marriage would be great. (laughs) It may be easier said than done, but we have it laid out before us in the scripture We have the empowerment of the Spirit of God living and active in and through our lives to bring this to pass. I want to be gracious to people. In order for me to be gracious to people, I'm going to have to temper all of my responses with patience until I can say, yes, that's a compassionate response, and then release it. But until then, the risk is too high that something that's not compassion will come flying out of my mouth or be on display like a billboard in my face. My face is really nasty, by the way. I can make some looks. Get one of these, you know, start furrowing the brow. Oh, bad news, man. Wait. Now, this is something that, you know, you can hear it and you can think like, well, that sounds really nice, you know. Take that. We can pray that. Hey, Father, I know you love me and I know you're at work in my life. I do want to be gracious to people. When they walk away from whatever situation we're dealing with, I I want there to be solution. I want them to feel better and built up, not torn down and destroyed. Will you teach me and help me and work with me to wait until I can be compassionate before I respond to situations? Give me the the, the temperament to control my tongue and to just wait a second. Give me the the ability to be aware of myself and have some measure of self-awareness to know 
that, you know, you look like a serial killer. Smile. <laughs> Here's one. Now, this is really practical. There have been a few times where, where the conversation at home has been about my posture, right? Like maybe sit instead of stand. We just lose sight of stuff. I remember watching my grandmother uh, at Christmas with one of my cousins. My cousin was really young at the time. My grandmother uh, was a very sizable, strong Polish woman. And, you know, don't mess with Mama. Mama was very pro-Christmas, right? But I think it's something about the, you know, the European, the Polish, and all this stuff. There. She was very pro, like, like Santa Claus. And, and that was never a thing in my house, but... I remember some of my cousins believing in, like, Santa Claus until they were, like, driving, you know, and you're thinking, like, this is a problem now, right? Santa's terrifying, and if you put that kind of thing inside of a big Polish woman that's even, like, really horrifying, and if you take away any self-awareness, then you're going to, like, really hurt people. And I remember watching my cousin, little little guy, you know, cute little guy's name was Nolan, and he's standing there. You know, and before he can open his presents, he's supposed to sing a song. And he's terrified. I mean, not everybody likes to stand in front of people and, and put themselves on display like that. And so she's wanting to encourage him to sing. And as he's standing there, this big Polish woman who could have, like, you know, punched Hitler in the face. And, you know, she walks up to him and says, You better watch out. You better not cry. Just like that, I swear. It's like Arnold, Grandma Arnold. <laughs> that little kid just burst into tears, man. <laughs> I mean, burst into tears. There's just no self-awareness, right? There's no thought that like, hey, this might not look like I think it does, you know. In her mind, this was holiday cheer, baby. This is what you do. We're all about to eat cake and open presents. This is great. Uh you better watch out. Terrifying lyrics, man. Jeez. But things like that, I mean, that can enter into your prayer life. I want to be gracious. So help me to wait until I'm compassionate. Help me have control over my body language and my feelings and my thoughts and my words. And, and give me the ability to hold my initial destructive response until it is spirit-led. It's great. It's really good advice. And then that does something, like this is cool, and then we've, we've talked about compassion in the past, and I actually clipped this to put it in here because I think you have to note this. Compassion opens the door for miraculous things, and I'm not going to read all of these things. I just want to give you, like, you're, you're ready to smoke your pen? Because here it comes, okay? So Matthew 9.36, Matthew 14.14, 14, Mark 6.34, Matthew 6.36 again, sorry I wrote it down twice, uh, 1532, Matthew, Matthew 2034, Mark 141, Mark 634, Mark 8.2, Luke 6.13. I mean, how many more do you want? All of these have a similar thread. And that similar thread is this. Jesus looked upon the crowd, felt compassion for them, and healed them. I mean, there's the definition of compassion. He saw they were hurting, and he did something about it. 
What a great thing to consider that that's how Jesus functions. Like that's, that's the ministry that God released into the earth that we have all been called to sit at the same table, celebrate that communion so that that ministry can continue through us, that we can walk this world, see the wound and see the hurt and see the suffering and do something about it. I mean, really, if somebody were to say, hey, Preston, it's 2024, what's the common prayer that you would want for the congregation of champions? I would say, hey, let's all seek compassion. God, make us to be the most compassionate people in this city. Make us to be the most compassionate people this world's ever known. Stir inside of us that, that, that same fire and motivation that makes you who you are so that when we see problem, when we see hurt, when we see suffering, we can be gracious because we wait until that response is compassionate. We don't react with anger, but we patiently wait for compassion. You know, when I read these passages of Scripture, I, I, I laugh sometimes, and my humor is a little bit twisted on occasion because we get stuff so wrong, and if you can't laugh about it, it's really a, a challenge, you know. I've prayed prayers before and apologized, like, you know what? That was the most blasphemous prayer I could ever pray. I'm so sorry for that, you know? And, and you just have to realize that we get into routines and maybe we kind of check out or maybe we start doing stuff out of our own initiative and we think it sounds good and we think it feels good, but it's not good. I read these passages of Scripture and I'm thinking, hey, now, it might sound a little arrogant, so don't think me some kind of narcissist, but I can relate to Jesus there. I've been a guest speaker somewhere or you traveled somewhere, and you ate food that maybe wasn't really your favorite, and you're wondering, where's the closest bathroom? You know, I mean, it's uncomfortable to travel. And then you get to a place, and oh, man, there's people that are going to want to talk to me, and they want to do that. And I'm thinking, here's this man who's ministering, and he's doing these things. He gets to this place. There's a mob of people. Every one of them wants something from him. And instead of thinking like, good God, can't you people give me a break? He feels compassion for him. I've been in those situations where there was my initial response. My initial response was, can you just take me to the hotel? I'm, I'm exhausted. Can we just go eat something that doesn't light my gut on fire? Can we just go to a place where maybe there's nobody at for a while? I mean, I think these are all things that are okay to desire, but yet he wasn't led by those things. Rather, he would wait until the response could be compassionate. Hey, I'm here. Look at him, man. They're suffering. Now, here's what you have to do in order to engage in that way. You have to see their suffering before you see your suffering. It's not about having desires or preferences. I mean, I like not lighting my gut on fire. I like not having to wonder, oh, my gosh, is there going to be toilet paper in that bathroom? I like not having to wonder. I mean, those are okay things, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I like having alone time. I like having privacy. I like not having, you know, no rest or a bunch of discomfort. That's okay but in this situation, what you see is here's somebody who sees their suffering before he sees his own suffering. And I think that's really what we're called to live like. And here's the confirmation of that. We're going to close with this. I mentioned before you're going to find how to be like Jesus. You'll find it in Philippians. I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 1. And we're going to read you know, through several verses, maybe like five verses or so. It reads like this, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Jesus Christ, which means if there's anything good that God's doing in and through your life, if there's any, you know, consolation of love and, or fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection or compassion, 
the compassion there is really what you're building toward. Like, ultimately, it's all of this. If God's at work in your life, if his love is active through you, therefore, if there's any compassion in you at all, it goes on to say this in verse 3. Then do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. And don't simply look out, and I love that it says don't merely or don't simply, which means it's okay to look out for your own interest, but it says don't just stop there. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also look out for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself. This is the same attitude which is in Christ Jesus. Compassion. I want to see your suffering before I see my suffering. I desire for that to open up the door for something miraculous. Where we're not led by, you know, our own interest, but that we're led by the well-being of those around us. It opens up the door for wonderful things. It opens up the door for ministry. It opens up the door for fellowship. It opens up the door for everything that is the kingdom of God, that is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It opens up the door for everything that is God's call on your life because you've been called to be just like Jesus. And it's going to require that grace being released through your life as you wait for a compassionate response. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray over us. Those of you who have braved the cold. It's not Dalhart cold, that's right. I'll bet it's cold in Dalhart. It is, actually. It's really cold there. Uh, Very cold. (laughs) That's funny. Well done. Uh, God has great things for us. I love saying that because we need to be encouraged with that. But if I say God has great things for us, I don't want you just to think that God has things that are just for you to possess, but rather he has great things for us to do. I mean, the purpose that's on our life in, in this congregation, living in this city, knowing the people that we know, having the, the history and the past that we have, all of this has tremendous purpose. I've seen things and done things, and some things are very godly things and some things not so much, but I know they all have a purpose. They're all part of my testimony in my life. They're all things that God will use through the wonders of redemption and light to, to open up the door for compassion to be an active part of who I am and who you are so that we can be like Jesus. I want to pray, and you're welcome to be in agreement or, or receiving. The prayer is going to be simple. We desire to be a compassionate people. It's going to involve two things. One, having our eyes open to see suffering which can be unpleasant at times. But then to have that heart, that courageous heart, to do something about the suffering that we see. If all we do is see suffering and we don't do anything, then we become a people of pity, and that's it. We're not called to be a people of pity. We're called to be a congregation of compassion. So there we stand, I want to pray, I want to ask that you simply be in agreement that we, we seek this together. Father, we bless your name, we thank you for the example of our King Jesus. We thank you for your word, that we have it written and set before our eyes. Let it come into our hearts and do something great. We want to be a gracious people. 
Teach us to wait for a compassionate response. That we would lay aside the, the desire to satisfy the flesh with anger and vindication. But that we could be spirit-led and we could speak words of compassion and perform acts of compassion as we wait for the response that you reveal to us and that you lead us to in everything that we face and deal with. And let compassion open up the door for the miraculous. We want to be a people that follow in the example of our King Jesus. Let us have the same attitude that would be in him, that we wouldn't merely look after our own interest, but that we would look after the interest of others. I ask now by your spirit, will you open up all of our eyes to see clearly the suffering that exists all around us and give us the courage and the strength, the understanding and the gifts and the anointings of, of your Holy Spirit to minister to those sufferings with power. Let there be signs and wonders and victory and breakthrough and let every one of those things bring you honor and glory. Let us be the most naturally supernatural people that this world has ever seen. Walking in the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let that compassion that would flow from our lives as we respond to your word be so naturally and powerfully evangelistic that people would be drawn to you as they see your glory spread across this land. Teach us to be like Jesus so that we can be who we've been called to be. We bless your name and we thank you for this wonderful and powerful word. Be glorified in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.